McFam, we um, are coming out of the, the Christmas kind of New Year's flow. Uh, there is a uh, time when you come out of, you know, the celebration of building up towards the gifts and then the celebration of, of celebrating Christ and then the celebration of being able to see some folks you might not have seen in a little bit. And so you know when you're in that season, the season of kind of Christmas, there is one thing that dominates everything else. One thing that takes over all the airwaves and all the TV channels, and that's right, Hallmark movies. Hallmark movies is is everywhere. You know the the movie, the movie where where two people are not looking where they're going and somehow they bump into each other. Or the, or the one where it always kind of ends a little bit the same, where like somebody misunderstands somebody else trying to do something kind, and you gave me the one thing that I'm allergic to at dinner. <laughs> you know, those, those Hallmark movies, you, you, you got to love them, and for some of you guys, you're saying, I love to hate them. I know, I know. But there's a cool part of the Hallmark movies that does kind of catch me a little bit. It usually happens when there's a, a guy that's trying to court the daughter and he's trying to get some influence with the family. The family doesn't like him, but then at some point he wins over the dad and the dad says, come, my son. He changes the, the, the little boyfriend kind of trivial perspective of the guy and he welcomes him into the family and then calls him son. These little Hallmark movies can point towards actually a, a cool biblical theme that we'll be talking about today in Galatians. If you would turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 7. And we'll see a, 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 a change that happens in how God looks at humanity, how God looks at us. Galatians chapter 4, 1 through 7. You know, the book of Galatians is a book that Paul writes uh, to the church that's having some issues and Some folks are trying to challenge his authority. And so in the first two chapters, Paul just basically lays out this authority I have as an apostle. I'm going to make clear. So when I encourage you in these words, you know it comes from a place of power, a place of authority, a place of humility before God. And then in chapter two, we find out, excuse me, in chapter three, we know that we're we're saved by grace, we're justified by faith and faith alone in the 24th, 24th verse. But then we dive into our verses today, having knowing that faith is what governs our lives, not the law. So look with me, chapter four, verses one through seven. It says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons... 
God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The first couple of verses, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under the guardians and managers until the date set by the father. This is a uh, a kind of jumping right in to some some character development. You know, whenever you have a, a movie, there's a little background character development where Paul right now is helping us understand our character as humanity. He's making a comparison between slaves and between children. And he's saying, hold on. There's a there's actually a similarity. That. As a, as a slave, and not, we're not thinking about our American slave, but as our, our, the, the kind of historical biblical slavery, what would happen is someone would be in control. Someone would be in charge of you. Someone would dictate what you did day to day. Someone was in charge of your daily actions. And he says, actually, a son is the same way. Because children, though they are an heir, and though he says in verse 4, uh, is the owner of everything, They can't do anything until their father says so. So the father is the one who runs everything. And even though the child has the opportunity to take advantage of the entire inheritance, he can't until the dad says, you're now a man. And what will happen is the boys, the children would have these little togas. And the toga would represent childhood. But once you became a man and and grew up and the father dictated and said, I see you now as a man, he would take the childish toga off and put on a, an adult toga. It's like a, like a rite of passage, if you will. And you would see this, the, the way that the father now reverts to the son is one of, of power and one of being able to now determine his own steps. No longer dependent upon the dad. And, and Paul is saying, first off, I want you to get that, that, that we can be like children. Controlled. And then the next verse lets us know what we're controlled by. In verse 3, he says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And the, the funny thing is, like, like we, we get this concept of kids, right? Like, I was um, with my wife, and uh, we asked one of our kids to do something. And afterwards, a kid said to me, okay, I did it, Dad. Now you owe me. Uh, you owe me. And before the, that O even got out the word, my wife looked at me like, owe you? Oh, oh, okay. Well, if we owe, then we run in tallies. We keep in track. Okay, then, like, we want payback for all those rides to school, uh, every shoe on your foot, every, you know, like, if, if we owe. But, but, but we understand that, like, an, that there is children, though they have rights, I guess they should be able to breathe. Um, you, you, your parents don't owe you a thing. But there's there's what God is saying here is that the right idea. <laughs> but, what, but what God is saying is that there's but there is so much more that the father has in store. 
But there's a certain point where you are able to experience it, and it happens at a point of maturity. But until that happens, that in verse 3, we seem to be enslaved to elementary principles. Elementary principles. It says, in the same way, to let you know that just like a child is controlled by the parent or the slave is controlled by the master, we, in the same way, are controlled by elementary principles. What's an elementary principle, Pastor? Well, let me give you a few of them. It's, it's kind of like the, the ABCs of the unfaithful. It's, it's whatever your basic building blocks of, of, of worldly concepts and principles. So the list is very long, but I'll just, I'll just pull out a few of them. Um, maybe you're the type of person who holds grudges. Holds grudges for a long time. No one can ever get back in your good graces because once somebody hurts you, they've hurt you for good and you don't let forgiveness flow. And so that can be something that's experienced in the public school with 40 kids in your classroom or in the home school with two. Grudges can flow in the heart of men and women. But maybe it's something that's a little bit more blatant, like lying. Maybe you lie to puff up yourself, or maybe you lie to puff up others. You know they can't cook, but every time you see them, you tell them how great their food is. See, see we, can, we can lie for the sake of trying to care for others, but that's still deceitful. The list can go on and on. Cheating, lusting, fighting, belittling, ignoring greedy, doubting. This list can go on forever, but the sad part of this list is that these elementary principles have us in bondage. They are, as, as, as Paul would like to kind of articulate this, this idea, they are as if we are puppets on a string. And the strings are slowly leading us towards death. So just as a side note, because Jesus is going to use Paul to help us understand how we jump up out of this norm of elementary principles controlling our life. But just as a side note, and this is the, the new year, we're going into a new year, and people tend to make a long list of new year, what you call a new year? Resolutions. I'd encourage you this year, maybe do some New Year's stop illusions. Because we all have a tendency to reconnect with some elementary principles, some unhealthy ways of conduct, some aspects of our behavior or our character that are not God honoring. And instead of trying to think of 10 things you want to do new, how about think of one thing you want to stop? Maybe you should consider stopping holding grudges or stopping making jokes of people that are inappropriate or stopping. And I say that because, family, we want our character to look like that of Christ, and Christ died so that our character might reflect him. And I want to challenge, encourage, celebrate you to maybe ask a really close friend, in this next year, what might be one thing that you'd like to see me stop doing? Maybe ask a spouse, hey, 
I know you love me. And I know the way you're going to say this to me is gentle and kind. You know what I'm saying? You got to get them ready. You know what I'm saying? Manager, manager. Uh, I know the way you're going to tell me this is going to be soft. But what's one thing that you'd like to see me stop? Because it, it connects back to elementary principles. And when I behave that way, I'm behaving in an ungodly manner. You see, family, I'm, I'm convinced that if we would go for the New Year's resolutions, I'm cool with that. But stop some unhealthy aspects of our character as well. God's going to be honored. Amen? Amen. God's going to be honored. And so prior to Christ, we are heirs. Um, excuse me. Um, we are heirs, but the connection to what we get to inherit is, 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 is jacked up because we're fooled by these elementary principles. This is the, the old way of thinking in a nutshell. But then look with me in verse four. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. When the fullness of time had come. I agree with this brother, John Calvin, who says it is sufficient to say that the time which had been ordained by the providence of God was seasonal and fit. Therefore, the right time for the son of God to be revealed to the world was for God alone to judge and to determine. You, you, you know what this is. This is this is uh, this is that like that definitive time in your life. When 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 you knew your life was was never going to be the same, that 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 moment, maybe there was a a major experience. I knew for myself the day I got married, life was going to never be the same. I was excited. I was joyful. And I kept talking a whole lot. And when I talk a whole lot, that shows that I'm really nervous. So my boy said to me, shut up, Leon. Oh, 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 all right. I, I needed that. Maybe for you it was graduation or maybe it was when you had your first child or or maybe it was when you went to boot camp. I don't know. But there's a, a moment definitively when you knew life had changed and it was not going to be the same. Jesus coming into this world was that definitive moment for all of humanity. That God would pick the, through the fullness of time, the time that he saw fit to send Christ. Every year, the 25th comes around. And I love that Paul is in Galatia and he's writing and he's, he's almost connecting this previous life of being connected to these these. Um, principles that are elementary, that follow the world. And he almost says, every year at Christmas, I want you to be reminded of the old going out and the new coming in. Every year, I want you to be reminded of these old elementary principles going out and then God seeing fit to bring his son into the world and there now being the opportunity for a new ushering of you, a new life that you get to experience, a Jesus who comes through and changes that previous history. George, which writes this uh, commentary on Galatians, says, 
The coming of Jesus into human history was not accidental happening in late antiquity. Not only was it the incarnation, not only was the incarnation the fulfillment of myriads of Old Testament prophecies, but it also was the culmination of a plan devised within the eternal counsel of the triune God before the creation of the world. Thus, the epistle to the Hebrews places on the lips of Christ the words, Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. This Christ excited to come and be your savior, living out a plan that was created before the world was even started. This God. But it was at a time that God would choose and, and, and timing builds up. Timing is one of those things that uh, it just, you just know like sometimes when the right time is. I've, I've, I've got a chance to play sports a little bit. But I've been able to go to some games and, and be in this moment, this moment where the game is tied 90 to 90. There's 20 seconds left. Your team has the ball. Now what do they do? They dribble down the court and they wait. And they wait. And they let the time tick from 20 seconds down. Down And what they're getting ready to do at eight seconds is go and try to score. Now, what's happening inside you from second number 20 down to second 18? What are you waiting for? No, man, we're going to win this and we done. But, But if you start snapshotting people as those seconds tick, you start seeing people grab stuff, their teeth gritting. It's that anticipation is building up in you for that last second shot, which is why when that shot happens and they win, we don't say, yeah. <laughs> Good job, my fellow. It's, it's built up in us, so we're like, yes! You know, it all comes out. Think of that same concept of God. God knowing the time in which it was appropriate to bring forth Jesus Christ. To look at the pain, look at the years of prayers, look at the the wandering, look at the wilderness, look at the hope, look at the trust, look at the love, look at the sadness, look at all of this. And God said, and now. It's a beautiful example of God's sovereignty in every Christmas. And you're saying, like, Pastor, Christmas was last week. Nope, because Paul wants you to think every time you think of the old going out and the new coming in, and maybe that's a part of your New Year's mindset, you're supposed to remember Christmas. Remember this God saying, and now's the time that my son is going to enter in for the sake of humanity that life would never be the same. And so look with me in verse 5. What does he come to do? He comes, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Redeem those who are under the law so we might receive adoptions as sons. So our, our flesh worshiped another master. We were uh, kind of controlled by these elementary principles while slowly dying because they were leading us toward death. But God saw fit at a certain time to say, and now my son will enter into this mess 
to, as my sister Kristen said, deliver us. He lived this perfect life to shatter what we were connected to, what we were in bondage to, to redeem us. This, this, this term redeem and this term uh, uh, adoption are legal terms. Legal terms that, that define some aspects of a relationship. These are, are legal terms. You know, you go to buy a house and you get into a connection with, with the mortgage agency and before you know it now, you two are in a legally binding agreement. Employer-employee agreement. Maybe you have, have gone to buy a house from a person and now you're in a, in, a, in a contractual agreement with the person selling the house. But, but legally binding terms like adoption to let you know that you get to fully inherit that of the family or like redemption, which says that you've been purchased at a price, legally binding terms don't communicate intimacy. When's the last time you went to your bank and just start snuggling up with the banker like, man, I'm just so thankful you take care of me. All that interest you be giving, boy, I'm just so thankful. When, when, when was the last time that, that, that you walked up to your boss and just said, your encouragement is so great. Let's, let me give you a big old hug. Like, might be inappropriate. In the, you see, while there are some legal terms that helped us understand the beauty of adoption, that you are now an inheritance of the kingdom of God, and there is no different from you, from anyone else in this family. You are a full part of this family, bought with the blood of Christ. In the next verse, though, we get the term of intimacy. Look with me in, in, in verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Say Abba. Abba. Say Abba. Abba. Say Abba. Abba. This term is a term of intimacy. It was reserved for for teachers or rabbis who were close to you, who invested in you, who wanted to see your good, who knew you intimately and who you knew intimately, who had expectations of you and who you tried to fulfill their expectations. It was a term of intimacy. Abba was never a term used with a holy God. Because this God who created the universe created the stars, created all things, could be known as intimately and closely and beautifully as someone that loves me. So that's why Paul, that's why the Bible communicates, yeah, there's something that legally happened. You were redeemed with the cost paid for with, with the blood of Christ, and you were adopted and a part of the family, but there's an intimacy that now happens with your father knowing you well. Loving you well. And it's reserved for him and for him alone. And while I like Joseph and I, I like Herb, I like Caleb. But if I'm walking in this church and my kids walk up to Herb and say, hey, daddy, we're going to have a problem. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we're going to have a problem. Because, because in that word is not just a biological connection. 
It's not just defining who we are biologically. Within that term is love. Within that term, Abba is a sense of knowing you. And so every Christmas, we're supposed to be reminded of God breaking us from the old elementary principles that somehow would control us and saying, no, you now are cared for, guided by a God who loves you intimately. Intimately. There was this, uh, this commentator, Bush and Du, uh, they quote this story from Russell Moore that describes his sons um, and their unexpected difficulty after being adopted from the squalor of a, Ru- of, of a Russian orphanage. Hear these words. Russell Moore says, We nodded our thanks to the orphanage personnel and walked out into the sunlight to the terror of the two boys. They'd never seen the sun. They'd never felt the wind. They had never heard the sound of a car sl- door slamming or had the sensation of being carried along at 100 miles an hour down a Russian road. I noticed that they were shaking and reaching back to the orphanage in the distance. I whispered to Sergey, now Timothy, that place is a pit. If only you knew what's waiting for you, a home with a mommy and daddy who love you grandparents and great-grandparents and cousins and playmates and McDonald's Happy Meals. (laughs) But all they knew was the orphanage. It was squalid, but they had no other reference point, and it was home. We knew the boys had acclimated to our home that they trusted us when they stopped hiding food in their high chairs. They knew that there would be another meal coming and they wouldn't have to fight for the scraps. This was the new normal. I still remember, though, those little hands reaching for the orphanage, and I see myself there. They say, do you sometimes still feel like you are in an orphanage? If so, the Holy Spirit came into the midst of our messy lives so you would know how greatly the Father loves you. And if you are a Christian currently, the cry of your heart is for God, The cry of your heart for God is proof that you've received the inheritance of the Holy Spirit. You are loved. You are adored. You are valued. And don't miss that the Holy Spirit has made a deposit into your heart that leads you to cry out to your father who loves you and who you love. But but this is one of the kind of standing proofs that we have as believers. Proof of our relationship with God is the fact that you can think of God and want to love him. You would have no interest in God. The cry of your heart towards God is evidence that the Holy Spirit has touched you and has enabled your sonship. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, once I knew a good woman who was the subject of many doubts. And when I got to the bottom of her doubt, it was this. She knew she loved Christ, but was afraid that he did not love her. Oh, I said, that is a doubt that will never trouble me, never by any possibility, because I am sure of this, that the heart is so corrupt naturally that love to God never did get there without God putting it there. 
You understand that? That, that we were so attached to our elementary principles that we thought was getting us ahead, that our desire to even veer away from those things and choose God, our desire to even say, Abba, Father, is fruit that God is walking with us and in us, because naturally, that's not who we would turn to. Naturally, that's not who you would praise and worship. Naturally, that's not where your affection would go. And so, if you want proof that God is with you, one of the ways that you can see his hand upon your life is the very fact that you are willing to say, Abba. Lastly, in verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. No longer a slave. Out with the old, we end with the new. I know I'm supposed to have like this, this New Year's message of like, okay, and this is your year. This is going to be, I don't have that. <laughs> because I believe every year with the Lord is your year. I believe he says, I am your father. I intimately love you. And there's going to be some stuff that you might have to go through this year, but I'm going to be with you. I desire your good every year. But I do want you to have hope. I do want you in the midst of maybe doubting, in the midst of maybe struggling, in the midst of maybe questioning to know that God is with you. And that in this 20 year, 2020, he's going to be with you through the ups and through the downs. But that you can find peace in knowing that you are no longer a slave. Period. So for the new person that's wrestling with, well, who is this God that they're talking about? We don't want you to be a slave to sin. For the believer that's been walking for some time, but you know that there's these character things that you keep going back to. Know that he's died to cut the ties from those elementary principles and wants you to flourish in him fully. There was a, uh, an, an illustration that I, that I saw in the Good News Publishers. And I'm going I'm to end mostly on this note. because I feel like I've been telling a lot of stories today. This story came about a boy that built a boat. He spent some time building a wood boat, and then he carried his boat to the edge of the river. He carefully placed it in the water and slowly let out the string. How smoothly the boat sailed. His name was Tom, and he, he sat by the warm sunshine admiring the little boat that he had built, and suddenly a strong current came and caught the boat. He tried to pull it back to the shore, but the string broke. The little boat raced down the stream. Tom ran along the, the sandy shore as fast as he could, but his little boat soon slipped out of sight. All afternoon, he searched for the boat, but finally, when it was too dark to look any longer, he went home. A few days later, on the way home from school, Tom spotted a boat just like his in a store window. When he got closer, he could see, sure enough, that boat was his. He hurried to the store manager. Sir, that's my boat in your window. I, I made that boat. Sorry, son. Someone else brought it in this morning. If you want it, you'll have to buy it for $1. Tom ran home, counted all his money, exactly $1. When he reached the store, he rushed to the counter. Here's the money for the boat. As he left the store, Tom hugged his boat and said, Now you're mine twice. First I made you, and now I bought you. 
See, that's the story of Jesus who created humanity. But somewhere along the line, we got entangled to these elementary principles. And then he says, no, but with my blood, I will redeem thee. I will buy thee so that I may be able to fully experience you at your most beautiful point. With my spirit in your heart. Family, our prayer is that you would be walking with this holy God. This God that loves you. This God that created you. This God that saw fit at a certain time to allow his son to enter into the world, but who also says you got to choose to accept him. We got to choose to believe it and then choose to continually remind ourselves of what he did entering into this world. I love that, that, that Paul is using this to encourage them and he's saying, don't you forget about Christmas. That was, that was a time where it was out with the old and in with the new. If you are a person that today is, has heard this story and you are saying, I want to live for Jesus. I don't know what that entails fully, but I do know that my heart is perked and I, and I do want to call God Abba. I do want to refer to him as father. I do realize that I'm living my life connected to these elementary principles and that is leading me towards hell. And I want to live a life of freedom. If that is where you are, then we invite you during our time of communion uh, to come forward and just say to me or, El- or um, Brother Matthew uh, that you would like to live for God. And then you can, you can, uh, we will walk with you and journey with you in that process. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, you are a good God. Lord, we get the opportunity to call you Abba. This intimate relationship that is beyond just the legal one, which we are thankful for. We're thankful that we're fully daughters, fully sons. That you've redeemed us. But that beyond making it legally official, you make it intimately official. We rejoice in who you are. Help us, Lord, to not think that we've arrived And that those elementary principles don't at times lead us to want to reach back for them. Help us not to behave and operate out of comfort when the comfort of past sin kills. Lead us, God, to choose your way. It's in Jesus' name we pray.